Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, zooming at you here from, where am I? I'm in Switzerland. I'm in Freiburg, Switzerland. Uh, so Freiburg, people pronounce it all kinds of different ways. Freiburg, Freiburg, I guess that depends on whether you prefer to speak French or German. Father Patrick will promptly tell you that French is a superior language. Uh, so do that. Yeah, okay, right. Needs no explanation. Um, but yes, I'm here. I am family. Uh, wait, no, I'm not, because then I'd be at the Olive Garden. Uh, so I'm joined here by Father Patrick. Father Patrick, how are things? Well, we are getting ready for Christmas. It comes upon us swiftly. <laughs> and uh, in full Christmas spirit, I find myself frequently searching the internet frantically, frequently searching the internet, rec- realizing that I have bought gifts for no one. <laughs> and, and that Christmas is right here. So it's time to shake a leg and move on that. So everyone's probably getting the same thing in different colors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I got you. No, that's great. Matching sweaters. Because what's that's not right. to love? You guys can all wear them in your family photo. And you get a mask. <laughs> and you get a mask. <laughs> nice. I um, tried shipping one thing from Switzerland. And honestly, the experience was so harrowing that I hope never to ship anything from Switzerland again. And, and that's not me just blaming the Swiss for being difficult, though that's part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's also me bl- uh, blaming our great nation uh, for the obstacles posed by the FDA to the shipping of food, right? So like I had to fill out this form. No one cares about this. Why am I saying this? Well, I'm just going to keep complaining. I had to fill out this form, <laughs> which listed all of the items, right? And like according to their specific classifications, because chocolate, is to be classified different than like chocolate cookie is to be classified different than chocolate cookie with nuts. Okay. Yes. All right. And you need to know all these fine tuned details. Awesome. Um, and then you have to include <laughs> like the phone number, the address, the locale of all of the different places in which said products were made and then their type of packaging. And by the end, I was like, I've got 10 chocolate things. I don't give a rip. And <laughs> I just threw those in a box. It was exorbitantly expensive. I cried. I met somebody along the way, though, um, who it turns out is American, and she was nice and kind. And by the end, I put my head down, actually, on the desk at the post office. And I said in French, it's moments like this when I want to return to my country. And then the post office lady consoled me. She's like, it's okay. You'll make it through. I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> 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 Woo. Okay. Um, but for this episode, we're not talking about spending money on postage. <clears throat> Although Which is the always... airing of grievances an important part of Festivus, <laughs> yeah, that's right. as, all, as all who celebrate the holiday know, it's, it's worthy to begin this way. <laughs> right. So, uh, so we're not talking about spending money on postage or airing of grievances. We're going to talk about tithing. Why? Why would we do that? Well, it's the end of the year, and a lot of people get in their last gifts. You know, a lot of nonprofits send out their reminders for uh, for big gifts, so that way they can be included on your tax statement come March or April, as it were. Um, And typically, you know, we think about Lent as a time for almsgiving, but also, you know, Christmas is a time when you hear it said here and there that it's better to give than to receive. Um, So, yeah, so it's a time, I suppose, in which we are forced to, uh, perhaps unwillingly, or maybe cheerfully, gratefully think about tithing. Um, So, Father Patrick, tithing, where to begin? Maybe with our with our own experience of it, what our families did growing up, what our kind of general sensibility is about tithing? 
Right. Um, I think, yeah, I'm going to contextualize it. Just drop it right into the Christmas season and carry on your, your narrative a little bit more to say that, you know, of course, the greatest Christmas tale, other than the narrative of the birth of Jesus, obviously, is A Christmas Carol. Mm. And I learned recently that Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol somewhat frantically. Mm. Um, you know, he just penned it out. He himself was nearly in the poorhouse as he wrote this great story, which is very, a very interesting commentary in its own right. Um, and there's much to say about Dickens' own life and experience writing the story. But the story of the Christmas Carol, um, I think, frames a lot of people's Christmas experience. Like you were saying, it's better to give than to receive. Um, and that the great temptation around Christmas is to be miserly, which is why Scrooge mm. is such an important character. Because all of us see in Scrooge, at different points, parts of our own uh, selves, you know, where we can be tempted to desire to accumulate lots of things, where we can be cautious about what we have to give. You know, especially this year in 2020, where things have been so unsettled, we might find ourselves asking, well, this year, I don't know that I really can make mm. the same gifts that I've given. And, and maybe you can. Maybe that is the actual situation of your own life or your family. Um, but maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe it's just a kind of fear that's driving you. Um, so I think it's helpful to begin with Ebenezer Scrooge um, to begin a kind of examination of conscience, right, to see just... Where am I? Um, because what, what we're about to talk about tithing, we're, we're going to talk about something that's virtuous. Um, and so you can begin to consider a virtue, right, by considering um, the transformation of someone who moved from the from one extreme to the opposite, right? And that's why the character of Ebenezer Scrooge is so beautiful and so important, because uh, when we first meet him at the beginning of A Christmas Carol, he's obviously on the, the far end of the miser spectrum. And uh, <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the story, after the visits of the three ghosts, um, at the end of the story, he is on the other end of the spectrum and he's just a gratuitous giver. And that's, of course, the place that we all want to find ourselves in. We don't want to be the miser. We want to be the gratuitous giver. Um, and I think it's important to see tithing um, first and foremost as this kind of act of love that is representative of an interior transformation. Now, Bonaventure would tell you the opposite, right? Father Bonaventure <laughs> would say tithing <laughs> is about duty. You know, the, the code of canon law says in uh, paragraph 222, the Catholics are responsible for the material support of the church. And so tithing is a duty. And there are other biblical, uh, <laughs> biblical witnesses and biblical reference that are important to tithing. Um, but I don't think that talking about tithing as duty is the most helpful way to start. I think that talking about tithing as interior transformation as um, demonstrated by Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge is the, that's the place to start. Yeah, no, it was something, um, to which you know you're habituated when you when you perhaps if you if you haven't been in the practice of tithing growing up or at a certain point you abandon it for fear of you know financial insolvency uh kind of making that gesture making that step to giving part of your income away is scary i mean it's like i'm just barely sk <laughs> skating by right it's not like i'm buying everything that i want and i have excess and i'm like Matt, may as well get rid of this superfluum um it's like I'm denying myself a variety of things and I'm still nervous at the end of the month. And I have whatever, maybe student debt that I'm accumulated here and I'm trying to enter religious life and fundraising with Lab Beret is taking a thousand years because it's Corona time. I don't know what you're thinking, but let's say you're thinking things along those lines. It's, it's tough, you know, it's scary. Um, but it's something like, like you said, that needs to be seen as a good, not just as a duty foisted upon us by uh, a church that exists for the oppression of its of its members and underlings, <clears throat> um, and that's something that like okay my own my own family experience. I remember we got an allowance. I think my allowance was ten dollars. <clears throat> my my dad didn't adjust for inflation, 
<laughs> so I think I, I think I got $10 and I was like 12 and then, you know, responsibilities mount and blah, blah, blah. And thus and such happens. And you're like still getting $10 allowance when you're 18. I think it was actually up to 15 at a certain point, <laughs> which was awesome. I mean, I, wow, yeah, no, <clears throat> making, making big money. I mean, I wasn't entitled to any of that. My dad's super generous, so I'm not complaining. I'm just laughing. Um, but I remember getting my $10 allowance and my dad would give it to us in a five, um, gosh, what was it? No, he gave it to us in like, it was like nine ones and then, um, four quarters. And what we would do is we'd give him $1 back, you know, for the tithe. And then we'd hand him $4 and 50 cents and he'd invest it in our college savings account. <laughs> it's like, nice work, chief. That's wow. Yeah. He's a, he's a financial planner. That's uh, amazing. I know where the rainy day fund goes. Um, That's right. but then also when we were kids, you know, sitting in the pew at church, dad would always hand us the envelope, you know, to drop in the basket and it's something, right. you know, like simple things, not complicated, not a big deal, but it, it kind of got you habituated to this thing so that when it came time for you to give it away, you're like, yep, I guess, I guess this is what we do. Right. Right. I myself am the product of years of Catholic education. Um, with the exception of one year I spent at Hanover college, Catholic schools all the way through. Um, you know, so I'm the sort of person that was nearly, nearly born in a seminary. <laughs> not quite, not quite. But, um, I remember at St. Charles, we had, we would get little envelopes, just like the Sunday envelopes distributed in our classrooms. Wow. And at the all school mass on certain times, it wasn't every Friday, it was like one Friday a month, but at the all school mass, there would be a cause for which we were raising money. Yeah. And we were encouraged, we were encouraged to bring something in to support, um, you know, the different charities in the area, like women's shelter, food bank, you know, all, the, all, all those kinds of um, places where, where people really are in need. So I remember that very vividly. Um, and that there was often um, a kind of competitive aspect to these things. So outside of just giving money, <laughs> right, there would be like the food drive. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember Mrs. Fisher, my sixth grade teacher, being really into the food drive and like it being super competitive to see how many particular items of non-perishable food we could collect um, and take to the local food bank. So those are two like vivid childhood memories I have of tithing. Nice. All right. So. We talked a little bit then about our experience of it, and then maybe we can do a little work just kind of um, thinking through the way that the scriptures and then the church's tradition envisions tithing. We're not going to give, obviously, like an exegesis of all the pertinent passages because I take a long time, and I also don't know how to do that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll paint in broad brushstroke. License. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're kind of horseshoe and hand grenade types when it comes to this stuff. Um, <laughs> um, so I think... You know, we can we can talk a little bit about the Old Testament setting. The, uh, I guess the first point of which is the recognition of what it means to possess, right? What it means to have as one's own, because um, there's this sense in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, shot through the scriptures, that we really don't own anything by right, right? The Lord's uh, dominion is such that what we have, we really have on loan, uh, or we have for kind of caretaking purposes. Um, you know, you kind of have mention of stewardship in some of these uh, recent papal pronouncements about the environment and uh, kind of our care of creation. But I think that that's just, just more broadly true when it comes to possessions. This stuff really isn't ours because we didn't make it, right? It was given to us by God. Sometimes we've rearranged it so that it looks different or so that it's better at like, I don't know, cutting hair or holding up a building. But truth be told, it's, it's really not ours. And so we're responsible for a kind of spirit of, of stewardship 
taking care of things and conducting them to their happy and holy ends. Um, and I think it's in that spirit where we recognize that everything that we have, we've received. So we shouldn't treat it as if it were our own or boast of it as if it were our own and that we should possess it as if not possessing it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's very clearly felt um, in the connection to the land. Of course, God's great promise to the people of Israel was that he would give them a place to dwell and that this land would provide for their sustenance. And what the Israelites do is they give back to God the bounteous fruits of that land. Um, so in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, there's this custom of giving 10% of the harvest. And I think that's more felt when, when you're giving back to God the products of the land. Uh, you know, like digital giving is so hard, right? Because you like barely even notice. You don't even put anything in the basket anymore. Like mm -hmm. the money just is sucked out by the church. You know, if you have <laughs> some kind of like direct deposit, so you don't even feel it. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I, but I, I, you know, I'm mocking that a little bit, but I think that's an, I think there's something of an issue here. There's a, there's a real disconnectedness and I don't want to, um, you know, go off on a whole return to the land movement, but I do think <laughs> that there is something to, there's something to recognizing that the, the instability, the danger, um, the, the risk of farming is very felt. It's very felt constantly. Um, my, my parents are, um, my parents live in Indiana. It's where I'm from. It's where I grew up. We talk about the rain and like what it's doing to farmers because we know farmers. Um, and it, and it, it makes, it connects us to God's work and his direct care of creation in, in, in an immediate way. And I think that when you're farming, when you recognize that there are only some, there's only so much that you can control, you want to give it back in, in a ready way to, to God, recognizing that he's given it to you. Yeah. And that, that recognition gives real concrete shape to Israel's life of worship, to Israel's life of sacrifice, to Israel's support of the temple. So, you know, like you've probably, our listeners have probably endeavored to read the Bible in one year at some point in their lives, whether or not you succeeded. Um, don't worry too terribly much about that. It's tough. Book of Leviticus, right? Just, just slays all. Um, but, but when you kind of work your way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you come across a lot of different descriptions of sacrifice, of worship. And some of them sound just kind of like wild. You're like, wow, cereal offerings? What does that mean? It's, okay, stop it, Father Gregory. Um, pour out, you pour out all <laughs> the golden grams, you know, <laughs> the cereal exactly. offering. Right? Yeah, quite naturally. Um, <laughs> And then uh, you hear about wave offerings, you hear about uh, Holocaust offerings, you hear about, you know, oblations and first fruits and tithes, and all, you hear about all these different ways in which things were given to God, either directly or indirectly. And basically, like for most of those sacrifices, part of it would be, um, you know, offered to God, part of it would be given to the support of the, the priests in the temple, part of it would be given to the offer himself. Um, but this idea of tithes and first fruits, you know, you described as it's, I mean, it's for the direct support of the temple, but that's paired with other things too, which I think we should kind of incorporate into our kind of working philosophy or working practice of, of tithing. Like for instance, the Israelites would leave the edges of their farmland unharvested so that aliens, sojourners, widows, orphans, those who would not have pertained to a family, those could, who could not have supported themselves could come onto the edges of their property without, you know, kind of traipsing through the whole of it and they could have enough to eat so that they wouldn't die of exposure. Um, then there's another offering, which I like to talk about because it's a beautiful image of religious life, especially this Holocaust offering where everything goes to God, right? So the whole thing, the blood, the fat, the entire animal, all of it gets burned up on the altar and given to God. 
And so while there are these different kind of ways in which worship or almsgiving are kind of directed in this temple system and the worship system of Israel, the point is basically that we have been given everything by God. There are certain things that are his alone, but then there are other ways in which we can kind of channel those gifts to support worship, to support the life of the church, the people of God, and then to support those who might otherwise go without. So I think it's like, yeah, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated, but that this should be the spirit which informs our almsgiving. <clears throat> now, in classic fashion, I'm just, you know, talking unstintingly, and here we are about midway through the episode. So to give you a short break uh, from this here stream of pros, uh, we're going to go to a word from our sponsors. <laughs> This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash God's Planning. All right, folks, we are back here on God's Planning. I officially cracked myself up because as you've noticed, we don't have sponsors, right? God's Planning is sponsored by God's Planning. You know you've hit it big time when you sponsor yourself. Um, so speaking of financial arrangements, we are, we are here on God's Planning talking about almsgiving. Um, Father Patrick, do you want to call out for us or highlight maybe some, I don't know, some, some other things that I left out of the Old Testament picture, bring us into the New Testament, things about uh, the Lord's particular engagement with the people of Israel that you think merit attention? Yeah, let's, wand let's wander into the New Testament. Um, so I think like if we're, if we're going to be sitting here talking about tithing, I think one of, the, one of the episodes we have to talk about is when Jesus is presented with the coin. And, uh, and he is asked whether or not it's lawful to pay the tax. And he asks whose image is on the coin, right? And it's Caesar's image on the coin. He says, pay the, pay the coin to Caesar. Okay, but it raises the question, this question about tax raises the question of, uh, of image and who it is that we're responding to. So it's very easy to say that the coin stamped with Caesar goes to Caesar. Well, what about the coin stamped with the Vatican? Like there's only so many of those coins and those coins are only in Italy, um, you know, for the most part, unless you're some collector hoarding them. Like, okay, so, so there's, no, there's no image of church on my dollar. So, so where does that go? Um, and I think one of, one, of the motives, one of the motives that we have to consider um, is, this, is this deeper motive of, of image and um, to whom we belong. So part of tithing is a declaration, a benchmark of what I think... Um, what I think I am and what I think I'm going to live for, right? Um, I think like there's a, there's a general sense, especially among millennials, and this was proven over the course of the pandemic in a couple different ways. Um, there's a sense of millennials that we as a generation are more corporate. We're interested in providing for others. So I think this is why some people are interested in, in socialist political philosophy because they recognize like, oh, the other who looks like me is worthy of my support and of my care. Um, so I think there's there's culturally this kind of um, desire to reach out and to support um, working among people of our generation and um, younger generations. Like I know identifying myself as millennial makes me old now. Um, but I, I think that this question of image is very profound and is very relevant because we can see it in this cultural desire to, um, to recognize and support our common humanity. Um, but then to say as people of faith, um, what, is it, what does it mean to do that? To say as people of faith, um, what does it mean to support other human beings? We do so because we recognize in them in the image of God and that the question of whose image is on the dollar is less, um, less literal, okay? Not just paying the coin to Caesar 
and more about um, more about uh, recognizing the work of God and the way that He is transforming us um, in our own lives. So I think yeah. this question of image in the coin is a great place to start um, when we're considering Jesus's teaching. Yeah, and I, and I think too it kind of gives you a sense of dynamism. Sometimes people feel like their contributions are yeah they're they're not like a personal gift, right? They're kind of nameless. They're faceless. They're yeah. They just you tender the cat, like you said about digital giving. You know, it just feels, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it feels like something that a deracinated millennial will do. And so yeah, like you said, millennials millennials want purchase on on corporate realities, which is to say they want communion. And I think that this idea of image really you know helps draw it out because what does it mean made? Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. I'm going to speak now. Um, <clears throat> what does it mean to be made to the image of God? Right. It means. As one uh, 20th century Christian describes, it means to be kapox day, right? Able to be filled with God, which is to say that we share certain aspects of God's life in a way that sets us apart from other creatures, right? So we have minds with which to know and hearts with which to love, and we can know God and love God with his own knowledge and love of himself. So we can kind of get caught up in the communion, which just is God. And in getting caught up in that communion, we can implicate others in that. So I think that, um, you know, with our almsgiving, it's not just a matter of depositing the money and turning away from whatever concern we've invested in monetarily. It's a matter of investing of ourselves. And I think one of the kind of cool ways to bridge this gap is to think about almsgiving in terms of the virtues, right? So it's not just a matter of doing the things, but it's about becoming the type of person who does the, <laughs> who does the things easy, easily, promptly, and joyfully. Um, so I think that one of those virtues that's concerned is liberality, right? People here are liberal. They think all kinds of different things, but it's virtuous just to be, uh, to be good with money, to be generous with money, even if you only have a little bit. I know that we've, we've had experience of people like that in our lives, you know, in the order and without the order. And there's such a, there's such a delight to be with somebody who has a healthy relationship with money and who uses it well for cultivating communion. Yeah. Um, Another connected virtue, I think, is, uh, is, of course, gratitude, recognizing, you know, as we were saying at the beginning of the episode, that things, that things come from God. This is the, this is the fundament of the Christian medical, metaphysical position, medical. <laughs> COVID, Medic COVID terminology is just like flowing around up here. You can't not talk about the pandemic. Okay, move on. Um, but the, the fundament of the Christian medical metaphysical <laughs> position You're doing is, great. That, is that everything comes from God. And um, gratitude is simply the articulation of our response to that. Um, mm -hmm. So in the Old Testament, again, to kick it back, um, uh, Abraham recognizes that God allows him to win a great victory. And the priest king, the mysterious priest king Melchizedek offers for the first time in the scriptures, the gifts of bread and wine, um, an offering which we recall at each sacrifice of the mass. And Abraham responds to both the victory and to Melchizedek's prayer by giving the high priest one-tenth of everything that he owns, um, which is one of the references for the Christian sense that how much should we tithe? We should tithe about 10%. Um, but the motive there of Abraham is not uh, legalistic. It's a response to the goodness that God is working in his life. It's out of gratitude, gratitude for the military victory, gratitude for the sacrifice offered on his behalf by the high priest, King Melchizedek. Mm. Um, and this is why Jesus' own offering of um, bread and wine is a perfect sacrifice of gratitude, um, recognizing the, the wondrous things that the father has worked uh, and the son returning those things to the father. And, and I think that that 
that disposition of Abraham's is so telling because he receives this windfall, right? So he receives the gift of a great victory, and he has all kinds of things that he formerly did not have or might not otherwise have had, and his response is to give some of it back, which for us is, I mean, it's, it's chastening because I know, like, think about your experience of having a snow day. When you have a windfall profit of, you know, seven hours of classes canceled, what do you think first? I think many people or crazy people like me think like, I'm going to catch up on the stuff that I've fallen behind on. It's like, no, like, just give that back, right? Like go outside, make snow angels, bring in a bowl of snow, cover it with Hershey's syrup, you know, kind of dig your face in, just like, just, just give it back in a spirit of, of delight, of leisure, of, of worship, of concept. I mean, whatever, it doesn't have to be too crazy, but we should, our, our response when receiving something should be to give it back, which leads to another, I mean, a description of another virtue, namely devotion. So devotion is, is this, this movement of the virtue of religion. And by religion, we recognize that we owe a great debt to God. And uh, by devotion, we, we give our hearts, right? We give our hearts promptly. So there's, this, there's no hesitation, right? Like everyone's had the experience when you invite somebody to a thing and you see that person hesitate in proffering a response, they may as well have said no, right? Because right. what you wanted from that person is that person. And when they are unwilling, you see that you don't have them. You, they're, they're not yours, right? You wish that they were, but they're not. And maybe they shall be someday, but as to now, no, right? So what God wants from us is that, that thrill. He wants to like, to speak weirdly and metaphorically. It's like when God walks into the party, he wants us to like, look up, see him, and then go straight for him because there's no one else in, in that particular room with whom we'd rather engage in conversation. So, you know, like there's this, this idea of liberality, there's this idea of gratitude, there's this idea of devotion, right? So we, we want to give ourselves generously, we want to give ourselves promptly, we want to give ourselves gratefully. And um, in order to do that, right, we need to get in the habit of doing that. <clears throat> and tithing is, is one of the pieces of that puzzle. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about charity. So talk, talk to us a little bit about charity and tithing. One of the things that the early Christians were so clearly known for was their love. And so we often, um, the friars ironically sing the song, they'll know we are Christians by their love when someone has been particularly nasty to us, which is not <laughs> the right way to embrace that. Um, but the song, the song should be true and captures, captures the, uh, the something of the gospel and captures how we should be known. Um, they'll know we are Christians by their love. In fact, this is why um, one of the apostate emperors of Rome, Julian, when he was trying to return the Roman people to uh, to a, a more pagan cult after the rise of Christianity, um, this is why the Emperor Julian made these pagan priests undertake good works. He set up hospital systems imitating the kind of charity that the Christians were practicing because he saw it was so effective in the cause of evangelization. Mm. And um, this this care for those in need had so impacted um, the empire that they couldn't get away from it. Anyway, Christians should be known for this kind of charity. Um, Pope Francis has been meditating of late on the figure of the Good Samaritan in the Gospels from that key, uh, from that key passage, that key teaching of Jesus. Um, the Good Samaritan being, of course, the one that stops as he's passing by in the road. Um, and I don't think we need to vilify the other figures who don't stop, but clearly the figure that we're, you know, we're supposed to um, that we're supposed to model our lives after is the Good Samaritan. And seeing um, seeing the Good Samaritan as a perfect represent representation of Christ, the one who always has time, the one who always has the resources, the, the one who always has an abundance of charity, um, we're supposed to model our lives after that pattern, um, reaching out to those in need. And I think that's, that's a perfect way to kind of wrap up the episode's meditation, because uh, when the fathers of the church read that passage, 
they don't first identify us with the Good Samaritan. They first identify us with the man who has fallen in among thieves, right? So we're the ones who have been despoiled of grace and wounded on our nature. We're the ones who lie in a ditch. And it's Christ, the Good Samaritan, who comes after us, who, who puts us on the back of his beast, as it were, raising us to our former dignity. He bathes our wounds, it says, in oil and in wine, which signify the sacraments. He brings us into the inn of the church, right? He entrusts us to the care of the innkeeper and, you know, the kind of person of the hierarchy, as it were. He leaves two coins, which some of the fathers say signify his two natures, his divinity and his humanity. Some of the fathers say signify the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? And he promises to come back at the end of the age, so we are those who have been shown mercy, which is how the Good Samaritan is identified. And it's only in having first been shown mercy that we can then follow the prompting that comes at the end of that parable, which is to go and do likewise. So it's awesome. It's, awesome. it's like just such a great way then um, to describe what it means to tithe. It means to recognize that you have been given a great gift, right? And that if we are to model our lives on that of the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for love of us, then we too should empty ourselves, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. <clears throat> and um, if, we can, if we can grow into that, then thanks be to God. How will it feel at the outset? It'll feel like drudgery. It'll feel like financial insolvency. It'll feel like rank, rank, rank imprudence. But, you know, that doesn't mean you have to go from zero to 10% in a day. You know, you can work your way up go from like zero to one to two to three to four. But the, the, the end goal is to be generous because the end goal is to be like God. Right. That's, yeah, that's, I, that's good. I, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I just want to echo that. You should feel something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I had some students tell me the other day that they went out to Dunkin' Donuts um, early in the morning. They went at like 5 30 AM just to feel something, <laughs> you know, in the, in the course of the pandemic, I think we've all, we've all been so locked down and um, turned inward upon ourselves, but tithing has the ability to draw us out um, and to make, to make us look with love upon another and indeed even to feel something. So, uh, you know, my last like two cents on this, um, my two coins as it were, mm. um, are again, the, the, I think helpful, um, helpful, uh, distinction that is made you know we talk about tithe, people should be tithing about 10 percent um it's good to tithe five percent directly to the support of the church to a local parish and five percent to charitable causes um, that go directly to the needy i think that's helpful i i didn't hear that for a long time so you know sometimes people hear 10 percent and they think all that needs to go to um saint saint mungo's um and that's <laughs> not true um 5% could go directly to the support of St. Mungo's, but 5%, um, you know, should go directly to the care of those most in need, directly to the care of the poor. Wonderful. So as, you know, as the weather has gotten and gets cold, uh, as we think about it being better to give than to receive during this Christmas season, this is our encouragement for you uh, to grow in the practice of tithing or to persevere in the practice of tithing. Um, let's see other things that are on the docket. We've got a Christmas episode coming out tomorrow. So be sure to look for that. It's a meditation on a handful of different Christmas hymns and chants uh, featuring, featuring the musical stylings of the Scola from the Dominican House of Studies. So if you're very, very attentive, you can listen and hear Father Jacob Bertrand, which is uh, angelic, I might say. Um, and uh, so you can, you can check that out. And then we have uh, our next installment of Guest Planning coming out the first Monday of January. Uh, for which, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to not tell you who that is because it's supposed to be a surprise. But if you listen to past episodes, you'll remember that um, I blew that surprise. So check back there. 
and you'll find out who it is, <clears throat> right? And then uh, we like re- for Christmas presents. <laughs> exactly, I know they're, they're always in there. <laughs> they're always in the top of the closet or under the bed. Um, so then, also please consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. So we recently hired somebody to help us with audio and video editing. Oh gosh, I've I've mispronounced like eighteen words in this just one episode. At it's least heartbreaking. you didn't miss metaphysical twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, Right. So we hired someone to help us with things that we ourselves are not good at, uh, which is which is cool. And so we you know, just ask that you would consider supporting us on Patreon for that good work uh, and help grow the podcast. So the money that you spend will make it uh, leaner, meaner and help it to reach more people, which please, God, will uh, will be helpful for souls. Um, so, yeah, with that, we wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. You have our prayers. Please pray for us and we will catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.